Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. Your hosts are Andrew Douglas, Managing Principal, FCW Lawyers, and Karen Liu, Principal Consultant, Sound Consulting. Oh, good day, Matt. How are you? Morning, Andrew. I'm doing very, very well. Very pleased to be here, sitting across from you, doing our first one together. And our first one together? Yes, we had to fight the women out of the room. Yeah, really, that's so right. Yeah. This, together. this is our first one. I know, I know. Yes, they've held us to a high standard for too long. We've got to let loose a little bit every now and then. I think we need to say a quick hello to Karen. Karen's at home with COVID, three children with mm. COVID and doing 11 hours of university today. Mm, goodness, yes. Oh, well, you know, we aspire to be as, as, as successful as she is. <laughs> Uh, pressures and challenges, Andrew. Yeah. yeah. Now, look, next week, Matt, we've got our farewell to Karen. That's right. That's um, right. 100th episode, farewell to Karen. Yeah. Please register and come along. We'd love to have you along. Yeah. It's fascinating set of topics we're doing Absolutely. next week. Absolutely. It's going to be a slightly longer presentation. We're going to look at what it looks like to be a woman in the workforce going forward with the changes of legislation that are on its way. Yes. You have the changes of attitude, which are fortunately coming with it. Yes. And what that looks like in a workplace. What is the infrastructure you need? What is the change of focus you need? How can you deliver those outcomes, which we all know are for the best of business? Yeah, yeah. And Matt and I, for a bit of fun, they're going to look at this swathe of new crazy casual cases. Yeah, yes. Yeah. What, yeah, what, what is a casual and what is not now yeah. has become quite contentious. We all yeah. thought the High Court and the legislation fixed that. Yeah. But not, according, right. not according to the Fair Work Commission. <laughs> no, no. And look, potentially more legislative changes to come. So still big question mark over who is casual and who's yeah. not. So we'll, we'll deal with that a little bit next week because I think all of us, as we see the changes in the structure of the workforce, will be utilising more casuals. Absolutely. Particularly award-based casuals mm. because of the benefits that it's giving, and the Fair Work Commission is giving and giving and giving. Yeah, particularly so, in unfair dismissal context. Yeah, yeah so yeah. we've got to wait and see till we get a full bench decision mm. as to how the Commission really is going to respond. Yes. But we've got commissioners who sit on the left taking a very conservative, strong view in favour of employers. Mm. Very interesting time. It is, absolutely, Andrew. Let's yeah. jump into the day. Yes. Okay, let's jump. That's, that's all next week. But yeah. Can I just say, please come along and say goodbye to Karen. She's... We're all going to miss it terribly. Oh, terribly. And so we'd like you to come yeah. and celebrate with us. Labor's submission on minimum wage. Now, there's a lot of the, the trumpets were heralding this new 5.1 and we're expecting mm. a 200-page submission from Labor. And what actually happened? Oh, look, Andrew, you know, as it is, as uh, governments tend to say one thing before they get in and then do something a little bit different when they do. But, uh, look, not a huge grand heralding, um, really, of major change or anything like that. Nice, simple six-page document, nothing kind of controversial or different in the stats and figures drawn on upon within it. But, uh, you know, effectively got the Labor government saying, as they've sort of worded in some of their press conferences since, uh, you know, asking the Commission to set the rate somewhere similar to the level of inflation, but not naming the 5.1%. It's a step back, isn't it? It is, it is. It gives them more wriggle room and leaves the Commission with more wriggle room as well. Not the sort of grand exposition of their views and values, perhaps. Look, it's only one of the, you know, inflation is one of the five elements of what the panel have to do. And I think when we look at what's happening in business at the moment after COVID, we're seeing a surge of insolvency. Inflation means banks aren't lending capital. Mm -hmm. 
So we're going to see a real contraction and, of course, the supply chain costs associated with business are much higher than the employee wage costs. Coming That's in. very true. So the actual inputs yeah. in business are now very significant. Mm. So there does have to be a genuine balancing. I think we're going to land around about 4%. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably right. Andrew. Yeah, that was I mean, what look, you said a week ago. No, that's true. Just well, saying. Nine, out of, nine <laughs> out of ten of the last ones have been at least equal to or above inflation. So it's hard to say. Hedging is bad. Yeah. Hedging is bad. <laughs> Safe Work Australia, which is not a legislative body, just in case anyone thinks it is, but Safe Work Australia has now said we are adopting the whole of the Boland Review to go mm. the WHS Act. And the states generally have all agreed with that, except for industrial manslaughter. And mm. we're seeing it always divides politically. Yeah, it's always so. Policy. We're seeing liberal states going no, mm-hmm. and so Tasmania and not South Australia. South Australia had been saying no, and I suspect will no longer say no. Yep. But New South Wales saying no to industrial manslaughter. Yeah. So in those places, it is safe to kill people. Not quite true. No. <laughs> I'll let that one hang there for Jeez, you, Andrew. He's not yeah. used to my style, is he? Let's go to the big topic of today. I think for, for Matt and I, certainly since I've been practising, the use of secret recording has been commonplace. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And it's not surprising, isn't it? You walk into a discipline hearing, you don't know what someone's going to say to you, mm. you're feeling a little bit apprehensive, mm-hmm. and you want your record of things, and you're in sort of fight flight, and you mm-hmm. can't take notes, and you're mm-hmm. alone often. Mm-hmm. What do you do? You Tab your iPhone, stick it in your top pocket, yeah, and off you go. Yeah, yeah. And in all states and territories, there is legislation that governs the use of secretly recorded mm-hmm. conversations. But Matt, probably let's set a context for workplace law. What are the secret recordings and contexts we're talking about? Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's probably one of the most common questions I get asked by clients, sort of before having um, performance or disciplinary meetings. You know, it's it's. That's where these secret recordings sort of uh, pop up the most. We're not really talking here about, you know, sort of a secret squirrel-style employee putting a, you know, recording device in the office just to record everything. It's really in that context. Which we you, really hope they don't do that. Well, look, let's hope they don't. I think you would know. You'd get a good sense. If change, we've changed my language a lot. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to go back to my desk and hide my after this. <laughs> so we're talking about recordings that are taken. By an employee. Yeah, or employers in fairness, but our focus today really is on employees. When they're undertaking a process of discipline or performance. That's right, yeah. So that sort of structured process where employers come in with an expectation to those meetings that this is going to be as confidential as anything else that's discussed, but then find out after the fact most often that there's actually been a recording done by an employee who feels a little bit disempowered, they're feeling in that fight or flight, They've got the phone put on record and they've got it in their back pocket. That's the sort of secret recordings okay. we're talking about. So today. let's let's look at this. Now, I don't think Sophie will put up the Matt's created a document which we'll send out, which yeah. is a great document that looks at surveillance devices act or legislation of that nature mm-hmm. throughout each state mm-hmm. and territory. But they basically divide into two groups, don't they? That's so right. there is legislation that talks about covert, which is not consented to mm. recording. Mm-hmm. What do they say? Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, basically the two groups, we've got really Queensland and Victoria where it sits that a person as part of, where they are part of a private conversation, it's not unlawful for that person to record that 
even without the knowledge of the other people who are part of the conversation. So Andrew and I are sitting here right now, I could be recording that conversation between he and I without Andrew's knowledge or consent, and that would not be unlawful. So that would be Victoria. It shouldn't be smart if it's being recorded. That's very true, the double recording, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's corroborating recordings, (laughs) Andrew. (laughs) So in the other states and territories, it's not lawful. That's right, that's right. So regardless of whether you are a party to the conversation, it is unlawful to record that unless you have the express or implied consent of every other person or at least one other person, depending on which jurisdiction, who's part of that conversation. And it's not all conversations. So obviously if we're in a public place, if I'm in a cafe and so on, then it's not a private conversation because there's not a reasonable expectation of the privacy that attaches to that But in the sort of workplace context, most of those sort of closed door performance meetings, you know, never have them in a cafe, for example, for this very reason, private conversations where that expectation of privacy is there. Okay. So that's the first part. So there's a split between nearly everyone except Victoria and Queensland. That's right. Says it's unlawful. Yep. But the next part is in every single jurisdiction, Mm -hmm. the utilisation of that recording Mm -hmm. in any proceeding is not lawful, is it? That's right, Andrew. And look, in many ways, this is sort of the more important part. And we'll come back to sort of the act of recording and how that's an issue in, in a different way in the employment context in a moment. But the publication is really the big issue here, you know, and under every jurisdiction, it is unlawful for a person who has secretly recorded the meeting to use that recording, publish that recording, publish a transcript of the recording and do it in any sort of circumstance. So whether that would be online, whether that would be in legal proceedings, some of them, there are some certain exceptions in the different jurisdictions. We're going to have to move quickly, mate. Yeah. You're drifting. Yeah. You're drifting. <laughs> uh, and Vicky Martin, yes, can a company have a policy that says no? Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's part of what we're going to talk about. Absolutely. Let's go to the first case, which we'll call Silco, because neither of us are sure in no, the application the first no, name. we're not super we, confident on how to pronounce it. Yeah. Nor, nor the, commission, nor the um, judge's name, so we'll keep away from that as well. But this is probably the clever and seminal decision that really sets up the structure of argument that's come forth. So, Matt, a brief, okay? Yes. So a brief yeah. analysis of the facts <laughs> yeah. and what the decision yeah. was. Look, the facts are sort of like uninteresting in many ways. Just a, an employee works as a trade assistant for Silcar sort of working there for just around about over a year. A lot of tumultuous sort of relationship between the two of them in the workplace that comes to being uh, summarily dismissed. It ends up sort of some safety issues, some disappearing from work, leads up to a meeting on the 27th of November that the employee secretly records. No knowledge of the employer that that's happening, no request for consent at the beginning. A week later, The next meeting comes through expecting he expects that his employment is going to be terminated and in that meeting he reveals to the employer that he secretly recorded the previous meeting and on that basis the employer says, well, we didn't consent to that, that was dishonest and we've terminated your employment for that particular reason. Okay, let's go to the judgment. Yeah. Okay, because the judgment goes and says two things, Mm. some of which are lost in subsequent judgments. Mm. We'll talk about D.B. Coleman and his iPad. The iPad in a moment, that's (laughs) right. So it did say what? That's right. So the commissioner actually didn't look at this sort of question about the surveillance devices and the lawfulness judge. of it at all. Silcar's commissioner, Wintle, that we'll Wintel, get to Wintel, in a moment, is a judge, so. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. But the commissioner doesn't look at that at all. But what the commissioner does look at is this question of the fairness of this act of recording. And the commissioner says, well, look, 
In this circumstance where this person's recorded it without the knowledge of the other person in the room, it's put them in a position of unfairness vis-a-vis the other person. And the commissioner says it would have applied equally if it was the opposite way as well and says, look, actually this act of recording in the context of the employment relationship, it's a conduct issue. It goes to the heart of trust and confidence between an employer and employee and the act by the applicant uh, for, because we can't pronounce his name, of recording the meeting is sufficient misconduct to warrant the termination of employment. Now, it makes a slight distinction in that decision, which is picked up by, in a different way, by Coleman or goes against what he says in some ways, says, look, this sort of recording, general sort of rule, it's dishonest and unacceptable, but there are particular contexts in which it might become more acceptable. So if there was a workplace environment that was a hostile workplace environment where there was some sort of evidence lead of harassment or bullying, well, that act of recording may not in that context itself be dishonest or a valid reason So I think the the answer, what we're really saying here is you go at two levels. The first level is the question of fairness. Yes. And where that fairness sits is right. whether it is a breach of trust and confidence mm-hmm. or whether it's a legitimate tactic to actually protect yourself in such a different Agreed. environment. Agreed. And then we'll swing off to um, Gazwicki and the Australian, <laughs> the Australian Government Department of Human Services, mm. which is Deputy President Coleman's decision, mm. where he deals singularly with the breach of trust and confidence and yeah. derives precedence from his prior judgment. That's right. <laughs> where he said yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Interesting idea on stare decisis, but we'll yes. go on that later. <laughs> but what he does is reaffirm the first limb of that and seems yeah. to turn a blind eye to the second limb. Yeah, I don't right. think we need to talk any more about no, that. No, it closes off the second limb, but I think there's enough jurisprudence out there to say it's, it's highly relevant. To yeah. And so we then move on to what happens if I get somebody else recording something? Mm. What mm. happens? So Matt's in trouble. Mm. He has Nina sitting next to him, and Nina's got the phone. Mm. Matt? Well, that's right. So we talked about this case uh, a few weeks ago, obviously, because it was in the context of a vaccination dismissal, one of my favourite topics, as you know. And this sort of looked at, we had a third person record this sort of termination slash disciplinary meeting that was the mother of the person. This is Roman and Mercy Hospital. Roman and Mercy Mercy Hospital, Hospital. that's right. And, look, again, the facts there interesting, different from the other cases that one we've talked about and another one we'll talk about in a moment because you've got that third person recording. Now, question about whether it would have been lawful under the various different jurisdictions because the support person is sort of part of the private conversation but also not part in many ways as well. So... But what the commissioner has a look at here and says, well, again, it's that dishonest recording. It's the doing it surreptitiously. It's doing it without the awareness of the people who are involved. And and with the knowledge of the applicant. That's right. That's right. So advantages from that fairness perspective, again, advantages the first person while disadvantaging the employer. Let's explain what that is because Mm. the policy that sits behind and what D.B. Coleman advanced in his his learned decision, mm. is that it allows you to contrive how you will structure the interview right. with the person against you. So you can provoke people into behaving because yeah. you can take a very honourable line when mm. you're not really being honourable in what you're exactly. doing. Exactly. So yeah. it allows you to curate the thing in an artificial way mm. to get the best outcome. That's yeah. the fairness and still. That's absolutely. It's the curation is the fairness issue yeah. at the heart of it, Andrew. Now let's go to the only court decision we have, which yes. is Wendell now, because yeah. I've actually changed the order just, <laughs> just to test Sophie. <laughs> yes, Sophie, well done. Um, Wendell is really the question about, okay, you've got, doesn't matter so much which jurisdiction you're in. You've yep. got the unlawful nature of the use of it and publishing it. Yep. And Wendell goes to, well, what are the discretions that exist? Either under the Evidence Act mm. or not under the Evidence Act, whether you're actually in the Commission or not in the Commission. That's right. Around, Matt, 
You've got 30 seconds. That's right. So, again, like not very interesting <laughs> facts, just an employee disruptive in workplace environment records the termination meeting and effectively tries to rely on that evidence before the court. And the court says, well, actually... Not a discrimination argument, wasn't he it? He was. It was for a general protections claim, I'm sorry. He was alleging that he was subject to undue influence to sign a particular document in this particular meeting. So, leads the evidence of the recording of it. And the judge says, well, look, I actually think that this has probative value, notwithstanding that it might be a breach of the surveillance So probative value that. means it goes, yeah. it's good proof. Good proof, that's right. Yeah. She said, the, the judge says, look, you could have asked the, both of these people to give their evidence of it, but we've actually got this recording. Now, ironically, in this one, the recording demonstrated that what he was, the employee was saying was not truthful and that there was no undue influence exerted. But it's a really good example of the broad powers that the court has to enter into evidence. Let's talk what that like is. That. So it is... What is the quality of the evidence around proof yep. versus how prejudicial, how damaging it is in relation to that fairness question? That's right. That's and right. in this case, they said, well, no, look, this is really good proof and not too prejudicial given that yes. two people are available. That's right. That's right. So both people were available to give evidence to speak more about it, but the evidence was probative in the sense that it gave good content to the allegation of the tone of the conversation and the body language of people involved in the conversation as well. So what I want to want you to think about here is Fair Work Commission allows evidence in general without rules of evidence. The Evidence Act has that particular discretion entrained yes. in it. Mm. But for what Matt and I are trying to say is don't come along and just because someone's got a secret evidence, think very carefully before you terminate. Yeah. But think really, really carefully when you're about to have that fight about it. Mm. And what does that mean about your behaviours when you're doing these interviews, Matt? That's right. I think it's a great reminder that always conduct your performance of disciplinary meetings in accordance with your values. You know, yep. always take a value-driven approach to this and assume, I think, is fair to say, yeah. that what you say might be recorded and could be played in open court. You know, and taking that approach to make sure then you don't say or do things which are unlawful, which is generally a good approach to take to life anyway, is something you really that's should approach. Do, isn't it, really? That is, that's yeah, right. That's yeah, always yeah, our yeah, approach. That's yeah, right. Yeah, so it should be your approach. <laughs> yeah, it should be everyone's approach. approach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so look, I think the key lessons out of this, one, um, Vicky said it before, do have a policy. That's right, yeah. Can really, misconduct, policy helps establish yeah, and it's a, And make sure it's clear that it's a dishonesty. That's right. Yep. And everyone knows in relation to all the cases, dishonesty is a summarily dismissible offence, yep. so go for it. Yep. Secondly, when you start a, a meeting, always give the lawful and reasonable direction mm -hmm. so there can be no doubt about it. Yep. Yeah, you don't want to get into the implied consent argument. Express um, rejection of their consent, denial of it at the beginning, best evidence. Best evidence at all. And Matt's, I think, the best point of that whole thing because the rest of the garbage from Matt and I have been yabbling away. But the most important thing is you work through your values and you work through your values consistently, and that means even in the darkest hour, mm. in the most difficult circumstances, you take a breath, you practice before you go in. That's right. Yeah. You be generous, mm. you be yourself when you're in there, mm. and you always are a good person. Yeah, and then you have nothing to fear of secret recordings. Mm. All right. Well, I think now, Sophie, you know, I've mixed it up just to test how, <laughs> you know, your skills and dexterity. Can we go on to the case study, I Matt? Think it's case study time. Okay. And I know Andrew put something here to trip me up, but he won't get me as my view on this. All right. <laughs> Cole was a shy man. He was 45 years old, significantly overweight, and suffered from a bad stammer and psoriasis induced by stress. <laughs> Cole worked in a call centre for a product warranty organisation called Financial Opportunities and Outcome Liability, Fool, in Victoria. You know, very got through that, so if you didn't exclude the word. No, she didn't, she she didn't exclude like, your acronym. Yeah, I'm glad she kept it in this yeah. time, yeah. He was very competent in his job and had a good track record in warranties and indemnity rejection. 
Nancy, Cole's supervisor, was younger than him and found both his personality and appearance repulsive, something he had heard her say to others on the team. She treated him differently, mocked his speech impediment, and she just didn't get it. Nancy was frustrated with the number of client complaints regarding Cole being dismissive of their concerns and too literal about the policies. Nancy and her supervisor, Glenn, listened to recordings of the alleged offending conversations. There was no doubt he lacked charm, but he was sincere, direct, and explained why their policy would not grant the client an indemnity. However, when the callers became rude, offensive, and aggressive, Cole didn't seem to know how to disengage. He kept trying to explain why they were wrong, which fueled the client's anger further. Fool had a policy that allowed and encouraged call centre employees to disclose difficult conversations, ask and be given timeout and access EAP support. Glenn asked Nancy if the call centre operators were trained to deal with difficult callers. Nancy explained that all operators were fully inducted on day one and they received an annual two-hour training session on telephone etiquette, managing client expectations and correct messaging. Glenn was new to the business and asked, what about their welfare? This guy really copped it. What do we do? Nancy felt unfairly challenged and explained this was not her job. Snapping, there Nancy is, was a pretty ordinary soul. No, it's just, yeah, I think we're setting Nancy up here to be a pretty ordinary soul. <laughs> Snapping, there is an EAP if they want it and they can take a break. Glenn asked if Cole had sought help and taken a break and Nancy, now at her wit's end, bluntly replied, no, because he, he, he is a effing idiot. <laughs> Glenn told Nancy he didn't want her to want to hear comments like that about the team and she was to support Cole. Glenn asked her to remind Cole that these were their clients and to arrange some training so he knew what to do. The next day, Nancy approached Cole and told him in front of others, you are copying too many complaints, Cole. You need to tone it down and be more respectful to clients. And if you are feeling all emotional and can't do that, get some EAP. Cole was embarrassed by her remarks, understandably. This was one of several very unfair comments she had made to him in front of others, so he decided he would record all his conversations with her going forward. The following day, Nancy received another complaint about Cole's conduct in response to the complainant's bad behaviour. Nancy marched up to him in the call centre and shouted, another complaint, Cole, are you some sort of idiot? Then turned and walked away. Two days later, the same complainant rang up hoping to get someone else, but when he realised it was Cole, he started shouting at him. Still traumatised by Nancy's behaviour, Cole said, I can't talk to you when you are like this, and hung up. Nancy heard what Cole had said and told him to come into her office and asked what happened. She asked why he didn't stick to the script of what he was meant to say, adding that she didn't want to hear rubbishy excuses and asking why shouldn't she sack him. Cole got up and said, you don't have to sack me, I'm leaving, before walking out. The next day he ran Glenn to explain and asked if he could come back. Glenn said he was sorry, but Cole had already resigned. There you go. That's a lot of facts. There's a lot of facts, a lot of facts. It's going to be a real fast minute, I think. No, no, uh, I think yeah. we, no, no yeah. I've moved you forward pretty well. Yes, so you got, yeah. go on the slider. Yep. Okay, you've got five questions. Scan the QR, Scan go to the yourself. link. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yep. that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Without you, what would I do? <laughs> <laughs> well, we've yeah. got 46 seconds to fill in the gap. That's right. Well, not a problem for you and I. I don't think, <laughs> I mean, I think let's see, we don't need to help about this one. <laughs>
Yeah, look, I, as I was drafting this last night, mm. I, I don't know who I was visualising when I did Nancy, but I, I didn't like it. No, no, I can tell that from the way that it's, Nancy Well, it's been toned here. back, and you know, yes, so, yeah. Soph's actually cut it a bit. Soph has very fairly uh, censored you and in some ways. And changed he to her just to embarrass us both. <laughs> yes, that's yeah, right. That, really was a, be, yeah. that was a test. He, he caught us both, didn't it? Yeah. Why did she, she do that? Didn't catch me on psoriasis, though. No, 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 that was mine. Easy hit. Yes, that's fair. That's fair. I knew it. I saw no, it when I was in there. No, yeah. Nine second thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's quiet. right. Yeah, we got it. All right, we're on. We're gone. So was Cole constructively dismissed? Yeah, I think. Like, sorry, you go, Andrew. So, <laughs> yeah, which is so exciting. That yeah. was the question. Yeah, right? that's that was the question. Yeah. So let's just look at the facts briefly. Yep. He had suffered an array of behaviours beforehand mm. in an escalating way mm-hmm. where given his mental state and condition, mm. he felt he had to go. Yeah. So... He hadn't actually said he'd resigned, but even if he'd mm-hmm. said, I'm resigning, I'm going, yep. and that's probably what he meant, and left, mm-hmm. I think that's probably a resignation. I think that's fair. I yeah. think that's fair. And the next day he comes back and goes, look, can I come back? So yep. his mental state is he has resigned. Yes. So any court would find there has been a resignation. The yep. issue is was that resignation brought on by the behaviour of his employer. Mm. What's your bet there? Yeah, I think absolutely it is. I mean, I think it's a very clear argument for a constructive dismissal here. I mean, here is a person sort of at the end of their rope after the treatment of the employer, understandable that they would say, I have no reasonable alternative but to resign. Yeah, and remember, that's the constructive, constructive dismissal. dismissal is termination of the employer's yes, action. that's right. So yep. you've got to look very carefully at the and everything Nancy has done mm. was pointing the gun at this guy's head. That's right, forcing him out, really. Yeah. No so, other way to put it. So there we are. Question two. Could Cole have a general protections claim based on protected attributes around his appearance and health? Interesting question, isn't it? It is an interesting question. Why is it an interesting question? It is an interesting question. We had had the green room discussion. (laughs) So as Andrew quite likes to bring up every now and then, physical appearance, a protected attribute under the Equal Opportunity Act in Victoria. But we get in through a general protections claim here because that is a workplace right. The protection of that protected attribute under the Equal Opportunity Act is itself a workplace right under the Fair Work Act. So it gets us under the general protections here, clear adverse action against Cole on the basis of his physical appearance. It's a pretty good reason. And a a big claim. Big claim, absolutely. He's not coming back to work. Uncapped damages and economic and uh, and payment. And we're starting to see a growth in the compensation claims that are being made in general protection. That's very true. Probably in the last two years. Yeah, that's right. They're starting to align now more with discrimination styles. Yes, which yeah. goes back to the the decisions around oh, this is it escaping my mind. Uh, Oracle, Oracle, yes, yeah. yeah, where Oracle said discrimination should align with common law. Yes. So we're starting yeah. to see each silo starting yeah. to align on how we measure damages That's right. yeah. and the same methodology is being deployed. Yeah, exactly. And thanks for Oracle. I've no, that's my okay. brain. Yeah. <laughs> we should not have had that party here last night. <laughs> uh, Cole sought to play the recording of Nancy's conversation in his constructive dismissal claim. Would the recording of her conversation be fatal to his claim? In other words, would his recording of it be a fundamental breach of trust and confidence. And remember the two-layer test we've got here. Yeah. The first question you ask is, what is the fairness around the recording? Mm-hmm. So, Matt, when we look at the fairness around the recording, what was his mental state? That's right. I mean, he was so damaged at this sort of point. He was clearly in that fight-or-flight mode. The fairness as between them is shifted for that particular context. You know, it is not here where we've got a 
completely aware employee who set up the employer to control the content of that conversation. He's in defence mode to the greatest degree and is looking to protect himself. So he's got a legitimate interest to protect. There's evidence here of the bullying and so on. So I don't think it would be fatal to the Do you think the that claim. would remove the patch from DP Commons on? Oh, I think it would remove the patch. <laughs> I think it would be very hard to get that patch. You know, <laughs> you know you'd have to pry it off stitch, stitch <laughs> by stitch, stitch from the face. Yeah. But, uh, you'd have, have, to, you'd have to follow Silco. Not That's right. Decisions. Yeah, but that's exactly. another story. So yeah. I think yes. Yeah. And I think on the balance of what has occurred, it would be highly probative. Yes. Because yeah. it goes to the heart of the constructive yeah. dismissal. That's right. So it wouldn't be fatal to the claim. It wouldn't be fatal to the claim, no, but it would, it would also go... Yeah probably under the discretion. I agree. Be of such probative value because it would display her conduct and attitude, yeah. which is critical to his mental state and construct. That's right. And importantly, wouldn't be able to be relied on as misconduct discovered after termination. No. Yeah. So really good. If Cole submitted a workers' compensation claim after he walked out on Nancy, would it be accepted? Now, let's just break this up a bit. Yep. We accept that it's a resignation. So yes. It's after he ceased employment. Can yep. you make a workers' comp claim after you cease employment? Yes. Yes, you can. Yes, that's the key thing. Yeah, yes, so, you absolutely And can. would it be accepted? Well, yeah. there's no reasonable management. No, issue. no, not at all. Not even a hint of it. Not a whiff of it. Not, a, no, it is, not it is. a scintilla. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. The furthest from reasonable as possible. So... The answer would be, but it would be a shocking premium would, because yeah. this is a damaged guy who's not coming back. Yeah, cannot return. So yeah, in yeah. Victoria, three-year period under, in most other states and territories, five years, mm. you're looking at a massive premium. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Look, and the last one is, did Fool and Nancy breach safety legislation? Yeah. Again, very clear, yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything further from a safe working environment as what's demonstrated yeah. in this look, scenario. It would be interesting here if the mental state of um, coal was such that it was a, became a significant illness. Mm. You're right on the edge, I think, of reckless endangerment. So yeah. you've, got yeah. some, you've got Nancy who knows there's a risk. Mm. Glenn's said this is the risk, yeah. directed her to do something mm. to cure that risk mm. and careless and indifferent to that, yes. proceeds to do something that is causative and injury that That's arises right. at work. Yeah. That's go-to-jail stuff. Yeah, it is. And when Absolutely. we look at the new safety regulations mm. that are coming in, which has that reverse onus feel about it, yeah. I think Nancy's in real trouble. I think so, absolutely, yeah. and fool as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Being a fool to themselves. Yeah, exactly. I had to get it out of one stage. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you very much, everyone. Thanks, Matt, for joining no, me. No, thank you so much for Dana, having me. Dana, we'll untie you later. Yeah. <laughs> See you later, everyone. Bye bye. Yeah, please remember to like and so on. Yeah, do all yeah. the likes, do yeah. all that sort of stuff. Sign up for the hundredth, all those yeah, things. Do. Yeah, yeah. See you next week. Yeah, please. Yeah, in person. Ah, it'll be fun. <laughs>